0: Thank you, Nate, for leading us in the musical part of our worship tonight. Cal, I'd like if you could put uh, that second song back up there again, please. I like it. Nate sent it to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, What do you think of this? And I said, Yeah, I like it. It sounds good. Um, But I just kind of read it. Go through the slides again. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear your call. Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to come to your throne. But, Father, you loved me still. And in love before you laid the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. And you have raised me so high above my station. I am a child of God by grace and grace alone. You left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But, Jesus, your face was set. Think of how Jesus left. There's a verse in Psalms that talks about how Christ has laid His uh, head on the Father's bosom for all of eternity's past. There was perfect harmony in the Trinity, perfect unity, perfect uh, love, and He left His home. And Jesus set His face. It said, set His face like a flint upon Jerusalem," and He went up there. I've worked my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, You paid my debt. By your blood I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. Then you rose that I might be a new creation. I'm born again by grace and grace alone. Put that last song back up there again. I really, I think those are valuable lyrics. And it's good to think on those deep, deep things when we sing about them. Such strong words and such good words. I enjoy singing new songs sometimes because they make me think about the words. Sometimes I can just gloss over them. Tonight what we're going to be doing is that last song. Uh, Nate picked these, I didn't. But we're going to be in that place once again. That's the hope. Um, Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. Next slide. Once again, tonight we're going to look upon the cross where he died. Hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be humbled by His mercy and we'll be broken inside and once again we'll thank Him and once again we'll pour out our life. There's nothing probably that you're going to hear tonight that's extravagantly new. Maybe it will be. For some of you it will be. But once again we're going to look upon the cross. Once again we're going to soak in, soak in the deep truths, these precious truths of salvation. What a summer it's been to go through the Gospel just step by step I know all of you haven't been here for every step, and that's okay, but let me take you through it again real quick. We started and we spent two weeks on God. God's holiness, His justice, is really God. Everything that we could fit about God in two weeks, but focusing on the fact that God is holy. And we spent a week talking about how God's character influences the way we think, talk, walk, talk to our teachers, talk to our parents, talk to our friends. We moved into man's sinfulness, spent two weeks on that. Then we followed up with a week on how does the doctrine of man, how does the character of ourselves define the way and think about the way we talk to one another, the way we talk to our parents, the way I love unbelievers or have compassion on those outside, and the dilemma that that all presents within this whole thing. It's a lot of time to spend on that, but I think it was worth it. Because by God's grace, the story doesn't just stop there. It picks up where we picked up last week with Andy, talking about atonement. and We go back again, once again. Once again, we look upon the cross where he died. Tonight, that's what we're going to do. By God's grace, we'll learn something again and again and again. I, boy, I hope this never gets old to you. I've been praying it wouldn't get old to me. Sometimes it's so hard to teach because if you don't feel like your heart is embracing what you're studying, you feel like a hypocrite as you teach or as you prepare. And so I've been trying to pray, Lord, make these truths real to me. There's a sense in which as you set out to teach, you always know that you'll fail because as you talk about these precious things, especially the things we're going to talk about tonight, you just know you know that there's no way on this side of heaven that we'll ever be able to communicate these things as beautifully as perfectly as they ought to be communicated, except for apart from the Word and how God has presented them, I just I stumble as I think about how do I communicate blessings ten thousand or blessings all mine and ten thousands beside. Lots of hymns were jumping in my head this week as I studied and thought about the preciousness of these things, these riches and mercies that are mine in Jesus Christ. Whew. <laughs> It's a sobering thing to think about hell, to talk about hell, to to learn about hell and to learn about depravity. And as serious and as sobering, as real as those things are, this ought to be equally, even more so on the other side of that, joyful and just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to talk about these things. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. I want to pray not just for myself, but for you, for all of us, that we'll be able to embrace these truths, that we'll be able to take these things in tonight. At least in part like that, ought to be taken in. So let's pray. Lord, thank You for the cross. Not just a wooden beam, not just the cross, but because it points to You. Lord thank you for salvation. think of the songs we could have been singing tonight if you'd never come we'd have still been singing and worshiping but we'd have been damned we'd have still we'd have still been worshiping had there been no cross but now we have a new song you've put in us a new song of salvation what a what a terribly wonderful thing Lord thank you thank you Lord I pray. Oh, I pray that we'd realize these things tonight, Lord. Not just for the sake of realizing them, but for the sake of them changing us and making us new again and joyful in our salvation. And Lord, fill me with your Spirit now as I teach and help these things to to change us, Lord. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the preciousness of your Word as we Study it together. Help us now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to open it and turn to the New Testament and turn to Second Corinthians. Chase talked about that road trip we were on. It was pretty late by the time we got home and I let Chase drive a little bit and he almost crashed a couple times. We, Get to that point in the road where, you know, kind of, and I was sleeping in the passenger seat. When he got out to look at those stars, it really was neat. It really was cool. And I was trying to show on my iPhone like the app, you know, that shows the different stars. And Chase wasn't having anything of it. He was just taking in the beauty of God's creation and what it means to believe. What it means to believe. So I appreciate him sharing that with us. I hope you guys got something out of it. We reflect tonight on what does it mean to really believe what it, what really happened. What do we believe? What, did, what is it that we believe? So read with me 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We're just going to go through this word by word. He. That's the first word. He. Who's He? He is God. Salvation is wrought from God. It comes from God. He is the author of that salvation. Uh, Hebrews hes the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who brought this. He created it in the same way that the author created, a, wrote a book. God wrote this story even be, long before you and I were knit together in our mother's room. He wrote these things. It can be very easy to make salvation primarily about us, just to make it about you and I. No, you know that's often my temptation. And make no mistake, one of the great benefactors in salvation obviously is you and I, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But God, He, He, Piper wrote a book called the gospel is God, or God is the gospel. I don't remember what it is, but God is the gospel. He. He. We could spend all night on He. But there's a reason we spent three weeks on He, because it starts with Him. He. God, capital H. But how did our great master write it? He sent his own son, his very special son, his son that he dearly, dearly loved. He left His home in perfect harmony with His Father to take on flesh. From all eternity's past, I talked about how there's perfect affection, perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect unity there, and He left that. He. You know, one of the things I've been reflecting on this last week, there's so many tactics, so many books, so many strategies to whip people in or to motivate people to evangelize or to talk about their faith. One of the things I feel like I've been discovering as we move through the Gospel this summer is that if you come to embrace these things, if you come to realize who He is, boy, that's all the motivation you need. I've noticed from the small group discussions that folks kind of have a hard time keeping on track with what we're talking about sometimes, to keep on track with what we're going. but. It's hard because sometimes you just want to jump ahead or you want to talk about things in your life or things that are going on. Those are good things because you're starting to get a handle on He. You're starting to get a handle on the gospel and God. And what that does inside you is it wells up. I think motivation that propels you to want to talk about Christ. The love of Christ now propels you, motivates you. It's your ambition. He. He made him who had no sin. He made him who knew no sin. Isn't it interesting that when Christ was going to the trial that Pilate said, I find no fault in him? I look at this man, I've seen him, and I, I got nothing. I find no fault in him. Jesus asked the crowd, John eight forty six, Who convicts me of sin? I mean, who can say those kinds of things? Who would be bold enough? No, who would be dumb enough to stand up here before you guys and say, Who can convict me of sin? Why not me? Only Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tried, he's been tempted, in every respect he's been tempted, yet is without sin. Let me put this in a way that's really helped me to understand this. A, A preacher I listened to one time helped me to understand this by saying this. What is the greatest commandment? What is it? It's not just rhetorical. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good. So what did Jesus do from the very time of His birth and conception all the way up to His age time of His crucifixion? If He is without sin, He loved the Lord his God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. Since the very time He walked the earth. What a statement. What a thing. The Savior without sin been tried and tempted in every way, yet is without sin. Hebrews 7.26 For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation. 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 Chapter 5. Pick up with me in verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And then I, John, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book. Who's going to open this book? Nobody. Nobody can break its seal. And then one of the elders said to me, Stop. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book. And at seven seals, there's only one who's worthy. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb, a lion from the tribe of Judah, but now a lamb standing as if slain. In the original word there means slaughtered, gruesomely slaughtered, bloody, having seven horns and seven eyes, perfect power, perfect wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and sang a new song, that new song singing worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God. For you for you were slain and purchased for God. He was slain and purchased for God. He's purchased people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. He's bought them. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth he who knew no sin, that is the one who knew no sin and still knows no sin. But it says he made him to be sin. What does this mean? Such a puzzling statement after we've just talked about the perfection of Christ. And to get this, we can't gaze over the hideousness of sin. Sin is disgusting. It's polluted. It's sick. God despises it. It's vile, it's dark, it's heinous. We've spent quite a little time on sin. Enough for now, I hope, for you. Think about it this way Isaiah 64, 4, or 64 6, excuse me, thank you. Your most righteous deeds are as menstrual, rag, menstrual rags before the Lord. Your most righteous deeds are dirty rags. The literal there is menstrual rags before the Lord. If your most righteous deeds, if that's your good things, that's the things you think you've done that are good. How much more are your dirty rags? Sin is vile. And That's why some other religions, most of the religions who say they believe in Christ, have such a problem with this. This struggle with Christ and the cross. What does it mean that he became sin? Imputation. Imputed to him. Sin was imputed to him. Does this mean that he all of a sudden sinned greatly and became sin because he sinned? No. Oh no. Turn with me to Romans 5. And look at 12, chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> Turn there with me. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Well, what does this have to do with Christ? It has to do with imputation. Now it's true that we've all committed hideous sins. It's true we've all sinned outwardly. But it's also true that we're all guilty by imputation. Because Adam's sin, the curse, fell upon us. We're guilty. Sproul says it this way, When we are summoned to appear before the bar of God's judgment, we face a judgment based on perfect justice. The presiding judge is himself perfectly just. He is also omniscient. Fully aware of every deed, thought, inclination, and word measured by the standard of his canon of righteousness. We face the psalmist's rhetorical question that hints at de- despair. Out of Psalm 130, verse 3, Lord, if you would mark iniquities, who could stand? Lord, if you were to take into account sin, who could stand? Not I. I've fallen under a curse, and so have you. And when Adam sinned, it says in verse 18, the result was condemnation for all men all women this is part of the doctrine of imputation through one man's act we were made sinners and we fell under the curse galatians 3:10 for all who rely under the works of the law or all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things or by everything written in the book of the law and do them the LDS church and others like this don't accept this doctrine of original sin. But you see what happens if you reject the doctrine of original sin. Hodge in his book on systematic theology writes this, in the imputation of Adam's sin to us, our sins in the imputation of Adam's sin to us, of our sins to Christ and of Christ's righteousness to believers, the nature of imputation is the same so that one case illustrates the other. I want you to see this, so you can see the beauty of Christ's imputation of righteousness to us. But if you reject the curse on man, then you reject the ability of Christ to be able to impute His righteousness to us. Did you catch that? Does that make sense to you? You can't have one without the other. You read Romans 5, and if you read Romans 5, you must reject the imputation of Christ's sin too. Or of Christ's righteousness on us, the effect of the curse has been made known. But what does it mean that Christ was made sin? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, for it is written, it says that He redeemed us by, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, "Curses everyone, everyone who hangs on a tree. The curses go to Christ and the blessings go to us. What does this mean? So you know what I'm about to say is kosher or orthodox. I didn't come up with this. Sproul did this, I think, a long time ago. I've heard another teacher do it, and I believe it's one of the most effective ways for you to understand the cross. And when Christ looked up into heaven on the cross... And he cried out, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." And he cried out, "Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me?" The Father slammed the gates of heaven on the Christ, on the Messiah, on His Son, and He said, "God, the Lord your God, damns you." Christ was cursed. From heaven, He was cursed from God and he bore God's righteous wrath and punishment for your sin and for mine. Let me read from you Deuteronomy 28.15. <clears throat> I'm just going to skip around because I don't have time to... I'll start in verse uh, 15, but I'm not going to read the whole rest of the chapter. I want to read to you from some of the curses. It was if these curses were put on Christ. Listen to this. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of the ground, and the increase of your herd and the young of the flock. Cursed 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 shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion and rebuke, and all you undertake and do until you are destroyed. And until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me, the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until it has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew and they will pursue you until you perish. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron and the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth and there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will smite you with madness, with blindness, with bewilderment of heart. You will grope at noon as a blind man gropes in darkness. You will not prosper in your ways. It goes on and on and on cursed 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 these curses christ became a curse think of the blessings in matthew 5 and turn those around cursed are you shall cursed are you and you shall be refused entrance to the kingdom of heaven cursed are you and you shall receive no comfort Cursed are you, for you shall be damned in the earth. Cursed are you, for you shall receive no satisfaction. Cursed are you, for you shall receive no mercy. He became sin. He became sin. What a what a crazy thing. What a wild thing. Who would have known? And he talked about how the angels longed to look into this. What a plan our Master had drawn up. What an incredible thing. That Christ became a curse on the cross. It was the only way. It was the only way. The next phrase says, He did it on our behalf. It is very important and correct to be focused on the glory of God and the Gospel. That is so important, and we've tried to do that. It's very sound to say that the Gospel is God and God is the Gospel, and the Gospel brings Him glory. But it would be a great error just to stop there. For God so loved the world For God so loved Sam. For God so loved Nate. For God so loved Damon. For God so loved Parker. For God so loved everyone. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Tony. For God so loved Emily. For God so loved Brooke. For God so loved... For God so loved, for God so... Wow. The Gospel is God, but the Gospel is also inclusive on us. He became this for us. God was motivated by love, even, the Word says, for His enemies. And Christ did these things on our behalf. It would be a terrible error to forget our great blessings and our benefits in the Gospel. Galatians 4, 4-5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So we might receive adoption as sons. I was thinking about this today, and I I'd kind of adopted an analogy from something I'd heard before, but a while back I was house shopping, and I looked at a house way up on South 19th there, and I stopped and looked around at it, and it was just the place I wanted, and it was... I thought maybe, okay, this maybe was going to work. And I was really excited. And I got back down here to the office. And one of the administrators downstairs, some of you guys know her, her <laughs> name's Kelly. And, and uh, she said, If you get that place and the Highlight Dam breaks, you'll be crushed under underwater. <laughs> I, said, what, I said, What do you mean, Kelly? She, she, she was reading a report. So she looked it up for me. If the dam were to collapse, a 40-foot wall of water would have rushed down Highlight Canyon. I'm reading this quoting from the newspaper. According to a study and data collected by the country's Geographic Information Systems Department, wide swaths of developed land, including virtually all of four corners, would be submerged under a wall of water that would rip through the country all the way to three forks. At my house, where I wanted to stay, it would have taken anywhere from 12 to 20 minutes for me to be smashed under a wall of water. It would have killed me. By the time it gets to Logan, some 40 miles away, it would still be a 17-foot wall of water. When it comes out of the canyon, it would top 300,000 cubic feet per second of water. By comparison, the West Gallatin at flood stage is 5,000 cubic feet per second. 50 feet wall of water rushing down there. Why do I say that? Because here's what happened at the cross. That wall of water, that wall of water is God's wrath and it comes rushing down, ready to be released. Ephesians 2 says we actively abide under the wrath of God at any moment we could be cut from existence. Just like that dam breaking. And it wouldn't be 12 to 20 minutes, it would be right now. And it's as if the ground opens up before that wall of water gets to that house there and swallows the entire thing, so not a drop splashes on my shoe. That's what happens on the cross. The ground opens up. The sun takes the full wrath and fury and hatred of God on the cross, and not a drop, not a drop of the cup is left. He takes it all. I would have been smashed. He would have been smothered, smeared under God's wrath, and Christ takes that. Does that make sense to you? It's just an illustration, but wow, <laughs> Christ took that. Romans five fifteen through eighteen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Next phrase, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This righteousness that we have, if you're a believer, now if you're not a believer, you don't have this. You're clothed in sin. If you're a believer, you have a clothing of righteousness, and it's an alien righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It's not your own righteousness. It's been clothed on top of you. The imputation works both ways. We receive the blessing, he receives the curse. I know for some of us this isn't new news, but oh, the preciousness of these things, huh? I mean, what a Savior, what a God. John Bunyan. Our sins, when laid upon Christ, were yet personally ours, not his. So His righteousness when put upon us is yet personally His, not ours. But it's been imputed to us. Imputed is a judicial or a legal term, a forensic term. God is the perfect, just judge. He now sees you as committing no crime because when He looks at you, if you're a believer, He sees Christ. My sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. A preacher named Paul Washer put it this way once, and it stuck with me. Oftentimes, people say, How are you today? And I say, I'm blessed. It's a response. I think it's better than, "Ah, I'm busy, or something like that. That's what everybody's saying these days I'm busy. You're only as busy as you think you are. But I say, I'm blessed. That's just what I'd. we are. We're blessed. But when we say we're blessed, we gotta stop for just a minute. I'm sorry. I don't mean to mock. I mean to mock people when they say that. I just I hear that a lot. But what I say is I'm blessed. And uh, we ought to stop for a second when we say that and realize that we can only be blessed. We can only say we're blessed because He is cursed. It's always stuck with me. You can only say you're blessed, and we throw that word around. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. You're only blessed because He's cursed. What a thing. Psalm 85.10 Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness, listen, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Whew. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now this is a millennial prophecy. This is new. Uh, this will be in the millennium. But this has happened in a sense. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. See, we tend to part and parcel out God's character into different areas. And we do that to understand Him. In a sense, that's okay. But God's character is so full, so complete, it wouldn't be fair to contrast His justice with His mercy and say they're on different levels. No, righteousness and peace have kissed. God is God's character is full and complete. Oftentimes, we do that, but I, I, it's the, the the curses of Mount Gerizim and Deuteronomy twenty five and the blessings of Mount Ebal have kissed. They've met for the first time. I read for you Deuteronomy twenty five. Let me read for you number six, and you'll know this. But before I read this, again, this isn't this wasn't my idea. But before I read this say this this is the greatest it's been called the greatest philosophical and theological problem in the bible what i'm about to read you the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so they shall invoke my name on the sons of israel and i i will bless them but why is that such a problem the people It's a problem because the people are disobedient and rebellious and heinous towards God. How can He bless them? How can He bless sin? He doesn't bless sin. He can bless only because of the atonement. It doesn't entirely mean this, and to translate it only as this would be wrong, but at least in part the word blessed means happy. Do you know that? <laughs> happy. Happier the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. We have to be happy because of these truths. These truths ought to invoke in us a great joy and worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. That's for you now if you're a child of Christ. It makes me think of Ephesians 1 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is ours if we're a child of Christ. It doesn't entirely mean happy, but at least in part the word blessed means happy. Every happiness, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We're happy because of these truths. That's why we can say the gospel is good news. This is a good thing. It's good news. Evangelion. good. It's a good news. This is done for us, and so the stipulation is granted under a heavy, laborsome burden to work under our whole life and attain this righteousness. It's a precious gift, but it's a lifetime of work for it, isn't it? No. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. Stop. Back up. This is a gift. I mean, if I was to stop here, we could just celebrate this all night, but... Know that this precious gift is really a gift, and you don't label, you don't labor and toil for righteousness. Righteousness has been imputed if you're a child of Christ. What's the condition? Faith. Wow. I mean, you would think with all these blessings and all these things that what's required of us? Bonhoeffer says, when the Lord calls a man, He bids him come and die, and he does. He bids. You die. He calls your life. But the condition is faith. And if it's real faith you lay down your life. They've uncovered in architecture in the Middle East lots of different things but uh, papaya receipts for taxes have been recovered with the word translated. I don't know how to say this exactly correctly but tetalestia and it's written across them. Tax receipts. uh, The accountants would do, and they'd write on them, and they've uncovered those, and that word's been across them, and the word means paid in full. Paid in full. That's a word. It is finished, Christ says on the cross. Every drop. Every drop. Do you see why the preciousness of the gospel ought to be studied and known and learned? Why it ought to be articulated and spoke with certainty and truth. Do you see why you can't just take this and cram it down and crunch it down and make it more palatable and more how you want it to be? You can't do that with the Gospel. It's too good. It's too precious. It's too precious to do those things too. Study, learn it, embrace it don't just go off and rattle a bunch of things off. I'm not saying you need to spend, this is our twelfth week, I'm not saying you need to spend twelve weeks studying it before you can talk to somebody about it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just don't treat it as something trite or small. or. Don't do that. It's too precious. Too precious to degrade it, to rob it. Of its beauty. Try and fit it into your little perfect way of doing it. You know why I think I'm not more, you know why I think you're not more enamored with this? Why I'm not more enamored with this? It's a world. It's just, we're just instantly gratified by other things, aren't we? TV. Oh, he said it, TV. Yeah, I said it. Is TV inherently sinful? No. No. But I know in my own life just you just can become so enamored with visual stimulation in these things, all these other things, even good things, brothers and sisters, that we begin to lose and take our eyes off Christ and the preciousness of the gospel treasure those times. So much activity. I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Not even necessarily just one thing like TV. For you it might be socializing. It might be anything. Satan would have a gaze on anything else but Christ. I don't care if it's false religion or sin or whatever it is. So much activity. <laughs> I'm guilty of it too. It's just to stop and meditate. Andy and I have been talking. Andy's been taking time to meditate, to think more heavily on things. I've been trying to do the same. I just get, I mean, I treasure those times in the morning when I get up, when by God's grace I can stay awake and study and read. Just to meditate and think. Think deep thoughts. You read those old authors. You ever read those old authors? You should and you get more out of one sentence of their writing than you do out of three books that you read today, sometimes? It's because they thought deep thoughts. They think good things. They they meditate deeply. Well, I'm going here and there and everywhere. Kids can't sit for two minutes without angry birds at their fingertips. Angry birds makes me angry. It's just again it's not inherently sinful, but it's just you get so distracted. So distracted. It's like forty minutes of a message. That's all I can take. I gotta go do something else now. So much activity. Lord teach us to be still. Teach us to be still. Let me wrap up with this a story about this uh, this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I've got a brother who many of you know and would call him a brother as well. And he's spent a few years now laboring over in, in Turkey. And he's spent a lot of hard work learning the God, or learning the language. It's, it's very, very hard, very difficult. But until you can learn the language well, sometimes it's tough to be as effective as you'd like to be. And the first phrase, or the first thing he tried to memorize in Turkish was... Second Corinthians five twenty one. He would kind of sputter it out and in simple, you know. He kind of get it. Finally, the time came for him to be able to tell a Turk this verse. He said, "Okay, He says now it's my chance." And he's going to tell him this verse. And he he articulates it in Turkish as well as he can. And the guys, uh, he says, so he says it again and God. Turkish kid doesn't understand him, so he gets out his book and he shows him where he's written it down and shows him, and the Turk reads it and he says, "Oh, he says that's why he says that's wrong." He says, that doesn't make any sense." This says that the Messiah became sin for me so that I could be righteous. My body says that's exactly what it says. That's the correct translation. That's the right translation. It just doesn't make any sense. But it's the most beautiful thing. That we could all say, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me god made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf so that in him we could become the righteousness of god a precious truth be still and know that he's god take some time to meditate on that just chew on these things i promise i'll be less busy if you will just to think on these things a bit huh let's pray that uh, you are the Lord in heaven. You're the God above. You will not give your praise to another nor your glory to graven images, to carve things. Take glory for yourself, Lord, in what's been said and heard. Teach us to meditate on these things. Teach us just to think on these things. Lord, forgive me for being so... So enamored with other things, Lord. Just with anything and everything but You sometimes. Whether it's sports or food or different things, Lord, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. Make us more like Your Son through these truths in Your Word. What a precious Gospel. Once again, we look upon the cross where You died. Lord, let us be humbled by Your mercy and broken inside. Help us to think rightly about these things, Lord. Teach us truth. Praise You, Lord. Bow down now. We love You, Lord. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do now is... uh, There's tables around you, about eight or nine tables, and I want you just to go to a table and uh, grab your chairs and go to a table. And when you get there, don't go just yet, but when you get there, uh, there's some hymnals on your table. Don't worry about them for the first part. I'll give you some verse sheets. And I want you guys to just spend some time catching up on where we are in the Gospel. Ask some questions. Talk Fellowship. Talk with pointed and direct conversation about what we've talked tonight. Questions that you have, things that stuck out to you. Get caught up on the gospel. Get, sit and meditate on these things. Sit and talk about these things and think about these things. What stuck out? What was new? What was precious to you? And then after about five or ten minutes or whenever you guys finish with that, I want you to take a hymnal and I want you to thumb through it and I want you to find a hymn. You should find a hymn hymn that talks about what we talked about tonight, or talks about Christ, or talks about the Atonement, talks about the Gospel, anything that we've had to do with talking about this this summer, and then I'm going to have you guys share those. Just read the hymns within your group, and then we'll have one or two people from each group share in a while. So you guys have some time here. Why don't you break up and go to a group and uh, do those things. Spend some time talking to each other, then get a hymnal and, and find it. Ready? Go.